Start again, start again, begin. Start again, everyone. You're listening to Caterpillar Goo. I'm Rod Hayden. And I'm Flora. Hi, Flora. Hey, Rod. How's it going? It's a special pandemic episode of Caterpillar Goo today. How are you enjoying your pandemic experience so far? Oh, it's wonderful now that we're going to talk about a sex toy shop. <laughs> wow, you just jump right into it. Yes, we are. Since we're social distancing and stuck at home, we have children in the house playing video games, so you might hear that in the background. So today we are, we are talking with Johnny Reynolds. Who's he and how do you know him? I first met Johnny. He is uh, an usher supervisor at my basketball arena that I work at. He was my second supervisor when I started ushering there. He introduced me to the, the arts of ushering. Johnny is MC at Bat City Bombshells shows. That's a burlesque company. You went to one of those shows with me. I know. I've never been to a burlesque show until I went, went with you. When That's you pretty cool. Yeah. And you went up on stage. And you let someone spank you. That's right, I did. Ooh I got, la la. Did I pay to get spanked? I think you did. <laughs> I think I did. And you loved it. There's pictures. <laughs> the, the Bat City Bombshell shows are a lot of fun. It's a lot of energy. That's part of what made me want to talk to Johnny. Is I love that uh, body positivity and confidence that, that those shows... Yeah, I love it. I love that there were so many um, shapes and sizes on stage. It, it made me feel good because... You know, in the modeling world, magazine media shows us that we have to have perfect bodies in order to wear bikinis or feel good or feel pretty or attractive. So it's nice to see people who feel good about their appearance, even if they don't fit into that mold. Yeah, it was it was an eye opener to me to see that sexiness comes more from confidence than it does from body type. I know I struggle with um, body image and I know when I am in a bigger set, because I've been what up and down since I was 19, since I've been to college and I know my self-esteem was affected. At the end of the episode, Johnny plugs a, a show, a Bat City Bombshell show that's coming up at the end of April. So uh, yeah, I'm sure that's probably not happening in the pandemic. But if you do get a chance to see burlesque, especially if you get to see Bat City Bombshells in Austin. Take the chance. It's a great show. So there's a topic on this interview that you have not covered before. For some people, it might be embarrassing to talk about or feel a little shy to talk about sex toys. Yeah, there's in both the burlesque and the, uh, the sex toy shop stuff in this episode there is adult content if you're not comfortable with that you might want to skip this one but uh johnny approaches it all with um both maturity and humor i I like his attitude both towards not just the body image stuff but the uh the human sexuality to i think for for johnny human sexuality is just it's part of being human and there's nothing to be shy or embarrassed about and that's how this the shop that he works at it's called forbidden fruit that's kind of how they approach the business it was it was a lot of fun talking to him about it so rod have you ever been to his store his shop i have been there forbidden fruit it's uh it's a cool place 
I was married for 20 years, so of course I've I've been to adult video stores and stuff like that. And wait, 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 wait. hold up. <laughs> <laughs> because you were married, of course you've been to one of those stores. What does that mean? Well, you you can't be married for 20 years and and not be like we need to you know explore some some different avenues here. I've been to other. Um, sex toy shops or, or adult video places and there's just a there's something about the vibe at Forbidden Fruit that eh, vibe you <laughs> uh, see I don't have Johnny's maturity <laughs> um, it's a great experience and now here's Johnny Reynolds born and raised in Vegas we all did theater and dance and all that stuff that we all like we had to learn an instrument so i play the piano i also play the flute i say that i play the flute i have not picked up a flute in like 15 years but <laughs> i was taught the flute <laughs> so yeah no it's um i've always i've always been a performer i like i like being the center of attention <laughs> That's one of the things that I always, <laughs> I always used to say was, I love me. <laughs> I'm awesome. <laughs> uh, I was, I was extremely lucky uh, to have the family that I do. My parents are even more crazy liberal than I am. Um, it, I never really had to come out because I was never really in. Um, I've never, I never did that whole, like, I have a fake girlfriend or anything like that. It's like, mm, no, I, I had a boyfriend through high school. I, I was, I was pretty much always out, had a very supportive, loving family. Uh, my grandmother actually introduced me to my first boyfriend. <laughs> so yeah, multi-generational. We're all a bunch of just, yeah, everybody's free to do their own thing. In my family, like, we never did that whole, like, your pee-pee and your hoo-hoo. No, that's your penis. That's your vagina. If anybody touches it, punch him in the face. Um, if anyone touches it without your consent. Um, so we never had any of that uh, kind of body shaming growing up. It was just, no, that's your body. You should probably know how it works. Uh, try to love it as best you can and... Everybody's their everybody has their own and you know respect everybody else's uh, but yeah no my ideas behind body positivity and sex positivity and just being open and friendly and let's talk about all this stuff really does go back to when I was a kid like this there was never anything that was taboo. Miss Calazoria is a character that I developed uh, years ago. I actually started drag at a really young age. Um, I started drag when I was uh, 14. Wow. So, <laughs> um, and this was, uh, this was in Vegas. So a different, a whole different world. And so basically my 
aunt was doing something. My aunt is a choreographer in Vegas and she was doing something and uh, she got me. She was like, well, do you want to do it? And I was like, all right, fine. And after that, it just kind of took on a life of its own. Uh, but yeah, I started drag at 14 and I really didn't have a character. I, I've done singing and dancing and art and theater pretty much my entire life. When I first started with drag, it was basically like I followed folks like uh, like Marilyn Monroe and Nina Simone and Ella Fitzgerald and Sarah Vaughn and so I like that old Hollywood uh, those kind of those kind of uh, ladies and performers and then I finally developed the character of Calazoria in high school um, when we when we moved to Texas and the character came out of the fact that being young, black, and gay in Texas, I just needed something to do. And somebody asked me, what was my name? And I was just like, Jonathan? I'm like, no, what's your, who are you? And I was like, oh yeah, I probably should come up with that. So, Calazoria was born out of Moving to Texas and having to come up with a stage name, I was like, Calazoria. It's Catherine the Great, Elizabeth I, and Queen Victoria. <laughs> Put together, Calazoria. Also sounds like a ghetto black name. So... <laughs> I am a man. I like being a man. It's fun to dress up as a woman, but I, I've never, I never had like body dysphoria or uh, thought about what it would be like. To, well, I've thought about what it would be like to be a woman, just in the grander sense of the world of the world. But for me personally, uh, I like being a guy. I do. I I do identify as cisgendered male. I use he, him pronouns. I answer to pretty much anything, but for me personally, I call myself a guy. So I've never, um, I've never struggled with it myself. Now, obviously being gay in Texas was, a, was an interesting experience dealing with other people's masculinity. <laughs> High school was a bit of a nightmare. So I've never had, I've never struggled with my own personal identity as a guy. Navigating some of the uh, traditionally male spheres has always been interesting because I am a bit more colorful and flamboyant than <laughs> most guys. Uh, but my usual approach to that one is, that's just me. If you don't like it, don't talk to me. That's just who I am. I've, uh, I'm comfortable in my own skin. I've, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily consider myself to be terribly masculine, but I like being male. I like having a penis. 
life is good. <laughs> the only thing is that you just have to, every once in a while you have to deal with somebody else's masculinity. And that's fine. I've got, I've, I have more than enough ammo. <laughs> oh, back in the drag scene, I was, uh, I used to be known, um, uh, very, I'm very quick with, uh, with hecklers. <laughs> ah, I can pick the biggest redneck in the room and talk his ass straight out the door. I'm not worried. <laughs> I had uh, actually at the uh, opulence ball a couple weeks ago. I had uh, I was wearing this gorgeous uh, red fringe gown, and we were all just like uh, standing out in the back alley. And somebody came by and screamed something or other. And my general response was like, "What motherfucker? You want to go?" <laughs> Don't let this dress in these heels fool you, motherfucker. <laughs> I can turn it on when I have to. <laughs> so yeah, my, my usual issues with masculinity is dealing with other people's masculinity. I'm happy with mine. <laughs> I am the last founding member of the Bat City Bombshells. There's a couple other girls that are, uh, uh, a couple of the other girls that are about a couple years behind me, uh, but I am, I'm the last founding member. <laughs> We've been around 12 years. <laughs> it's kind of scary to think about that. Um, and when we first started, we were all just kind of flying by the seat of our pantyhose um but nowadays i am uh i'm one of the people that actually own the company we are we are incorporated we are a business so when i'm uh when we moved to texas and i was still doing drag uh this is in the early 2000s so anyone listening to this this isn't about the austin drag scene now but <laughs> almost 20 years ago back in those days uh, the Austin drag scene was cutthroat. It was like, um, the way I usually describe it is, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Showgirls. Well, there's a scene in there where um, one of the dancers like takes a handful of beads and like throws them out on the stage. And so like the lead dancer like slips and like breaks her hip or something. Um, and so then she becomes the new lead dancer. And that's basically what the Austin drag scene was like. Like everybody was out for themselves. There was no community. Nobody like nobody supported each other. It was it was very cutthroat. Um, and that was very different from Vegas, uh, where everybody got along and everybody was friends and blah blah blah. And so um, for a couple years, I just stopped performing. And then one day I was, this is when I was working at Lucy in Disguise. It was the end of the Halloween season. We're all fucking exhausted. And this gorgeous woman comes in uh, to buy pasties. 
my friend next to me, Riley Do-Right, um, she was calling people for their late costume returns. And this woman comes in to buy pasties. And I'm showing her pasties. And Riley was like, are you a performer? She's like, no, these are just for my husband. And Riley was like, you should be a performer. It's <laughs> like, okay. Uh, and then Riley started talking to her about, cause she was putting together a burlesque troupe. Um, cause Riley had moved here from Amarillo. She didn't want to be a solo performer, but all the troops back in those days, once again, this is about over a decade ago. This is a different scene <laughs> than it is now. But back in those days, the Austin burlesque troops weren't too nice either. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, when Riley tried to join a troupe, they basically told her to grow her, grow her hair out, shave, shave her pits and cover up her tattoos and lose 15 pounds. And she was like, fuck you. <laughs> I'll do it myself. And so Riley was like, I'm starting a troop. And I'm like, you go girl. <laughs> and then Tracy came in to buy pasties. Riley was there. I was there. And we were just like, I'm starting a troop. Do you need an MC? I'm a great host. Yeah, you can come in and you should be a performer. <laughs> and we just collected friends and misfits and whatnot. And that's how the Bat City bombshells were born. Basically everybody that told us that we shouldn't be on stage. <laughs> like, screw you guys, I'm gonna do it myself. The Austin community has been, I won't say hard, hard fought, not amongst ourselves. We've, we've had to fight a lot of venues and a lot of managers and quote unquote producers. Uh, but no, the Austin, there, there actually is an Austin burlesque alliance. We all, we all work together. We have worked very hard to build the community that we have there right now. There are uh, about eight different troops and over 50 independent performers in the Austin community. And we do look at it as a community and we try to, we all try to support each other. We try to go to each other's shows. I used to say that the Austin burlesque community is unionized. <laughs> There's a minimum amount that you get paid. There's a minimum amount that we charge for shows. Um, there are some venues that have free burlesque shows, but we make sure that those free shows still pay the performers because uh, they they used to try to um, pay with exposure. <laughs> uh, any artist or performer or band has always heard that, oh yeah, no, you, you do a free set, uh, but you know, there'll be a crowd of 500 people. So, you know, you'll get more fans that way. You, you, you play for exposure. No, we don't do that. <laughs> if you perform, you get paid. Uh, one of my number one things with the Bat City Bombshells is that if your foot touches that stage, you get paid. Um, sometimes a performer might have to drop out of a particular show, but if you were there for rehearsals, if you helped somebody with their number, if you helped with costuming, if you did something to support the show, you get paid. Nobody, None of us have the time or the luxury to do this for free. Everybody needs to be supported. Is that sense of community and family? Is that part of the history and culture of burlesque generally? Or did you fight for it to make it true here? Or 
Is it part it's, of the culture? It is a part of the culture, it, but it is also something that you have to strive for. But yeah, you you create your own community, and I think the Austin community we 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 built it, and part of that is just the kind of Austin friendliness of, hi, we're all friends. Let's all work together. Let's not let let's cut the bullshit. <laughs> Most of the bullshitters are gone. Thank the gods. Did you ever perform as a burlesque dancer yourself, or do you just you just MC these shows? Oh yeah, I do. Uh, I did burlesque for about five years. I started out in drag, and I did drag for a long ass time. I did drag for about a decade. So then I was about about twenty four when I was when I stopped performing. And then uh, a couple years, and then after that, uh, uh, when we started the troupe. Uh, I used to do a few numbers, and basically, you know, I'm just going to be honest with you, I just dusted off some of my old drag numbers and took my clothes off. <laughs> it's like, I already know the choreography. <laughs> not coming up with a whole new number. <laughs> got costumes and, uh, costumes and music and cues. I got, nah, I'm, I'm... So I did a burlesque for a whole minute. But I'm I'm more uh, I'm more funny than I am sexy. <laughs> uh, most of my numbers were either over the top and campy or just weird and goofy. So nah, I like to I like the stand up drag queen aspects of Brilla <laughs> of it more than the actual like take off my top. So eh, I did burlesque for a whole minute. Burlesque has a long history. Um, I mean, about a hundred years or so, um, which is why for the burlesque, burlesque, uh, Texas Burlesque Festival, we always bring in a legend. And I, I'm one of the producers for the Texas Burlesque Festival, so we bring in somebody that was doing it back in the '50s, the '60s, um, the '70s. Our um, our headliner this year is uh, Judith Stein. Uh, Oh, what is it? The the uh, the greatest beaver in Canada, or something like that, that is her tagline. <laughs> That's a great line. Uh, but yeah, she's uh, she started back in '72, uh, uh, so we're bringing her out. Uh, we've had so many legends that have come out, and I've met so many famous people, uh, several of whom are uh, no longer with us, unfortunately. But I love the fact that I at least have the opportunity to meet them. Because when you start talking to the legends, you have the women that mainly did. They were like New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Boston. Like that was their that was their scene. Uh, and then you have uh, the women that toured all over the country. They were doing shows in freaking Tupelo, Mississippi because they were willing to pay. And so you have the folks that uh, went that route. And so everybody has a story and we all 
have a great deal of respect for those that came before and those that are still out there now. You do like national tours on different venues or do you go do like, is there like a festival circuit that you do? Uh, there's a, there is the festival circuit. Um, uh, there's a festival circuit and then there's uh, two big burlesque events every year. Uh, there is BurleyCon, which is the big burlesque convention up in Seattle. That is huge. Uh, and then there is Behoff, the Burlesque Hall of Fame. Uh, BurleyCon is about education and learning and, and again, meeting people from all over the country. Um, and then, so that one's more about like taking workshops and like improving your craft and, you know, learning from these other people. And then Behoff is when everybody just comes together, gets dressed up, and you just watch, like, the Hall of, it's the Hall of Fame. It's, like, the best of the best performers. And uh, so that's always a fun one. Uh, Behoff is in Las Vegas. So for me, it's just going home. <laughs> I was curious how how gender and race lay over this, like... For gender, it seemed like most of the performers were women, but I did see a couple of shows where there was a man, but he seemed to be like um, a featured performer, not like a regular part of the troupe, and I was curious how how gender plays into it. Male burlesque or boylesque or manlesque or whatever you whatever <laughs> the term is this week, it is a novelty because it's different. It's not it's not thunder from down under. <laughs> It's not necessarily puppetry of the penis. It is still it's still held to the same standards of burlesque. Uh, it is expected to be performed and danced, and there's a story to be told. And there's usually and in just like in uh, traditional female burlesque, there's also a a wider acceptance of uh, of body types these days. Uh, back in the day, it was like, you either look like Chris Hemsworth or not. That's how it worked. Now there are very, uh, very thin guys. There are some uh, wonderful male performers that are a bit heavier, that are a bit huskier, that uh, rocking the dad bod, if you will. <laughs> One of the newest members of our troupe, his name is Rock God. <laughs> But yeah, he's a bit on the heavier side, but his number freaking killed it at, uh, at our anti-Valentine's Day show. And so gender is becoming more fluid uh, because there are also now uh, trans performers, trans men and trans women uh, that have gotten into burlesque. And so, and I'm not going to say this is true of everywhere, but I will say here in Austin, it is ev everybody is invited to play some of the best performers in town are, are transgender and we it's one of those you know what are your preferred pronouns and that's how we go with it i will say as far as race goes we're doing some work on that um it is not uncommon to have maybe one uh, person of color in a show or um, in a troupe. Uh, we have several in our troupe, but again, we're weird. If you talk to uh, Tony Elling, who came down, I want to say El Tony was here 2013, 2014 uh, for the Texas Burlesque Festival. 
but Tony Elling uh, tells the stories um, how she would she would get booked, but it wasn't. It basically wasn't until she became a star and a headliner that she would get booked in uh, in some of the bigger theaters and some of the uh, bigger clubs. Uh, so she literally had to like work her way up from the bars. Um, whereas certain performers like literally like they went from the chorus line straight to the main stage and she didn't have that opportunity. So I, I would say that a lot of people of color probably don't get their, uh, their just due as performers. Now there are some amazing performers, Ray Gunn, Nina Josephine, uh, I'm not even going to try to start naming people because I have a terrible memory. But there are some amazing performers. Like I said, here in Austin, we have gotten rid of a lot of uh, toxic producers. So it was just like, hey, don't do this show. Don't work with these people. I won't name a specific festival, but there was a whole big blow up over one of the festivals in the South that in that particular city, just in that city, they had a huge black burlesque performer base. And that particular festival did not book a single black person. Like no black people, like basically no people of color whatsoever. It was all thin young white women. That was their entire three-day festival of nothing but thin young white women. And there was a huge outcry about that. And then uh, one of their producers came out and said, sorry, didn't notice. And the other one came out and was like, it's our festival, get over it. As far as I know, those people are no longer producing because basically across the country and across the spectrum, everybody was like, and I'm done with you not performing with you anymore you're not invited you're not in front you're not invited to our festival get over it but yeah so um that's one of the things in like uh oh just recently uh there was a troupe that came through austin that was out of new york and i can't remember what their name was uh but basically it was like this entire troupe of these gorgeous black people and there it was just like so much gorgeous brown skin and all y'all and and we just saw the show or we, uh, we saw the ad for the show and we were like who are they what the hell what the, there's an entire black burlesque troupe in austin and i don't know about it <laughs> and then when we looked it up it turned out they were like touring from new york and we we're like oh okay well <laughs> that's amazing because yeah if there's an all black burlesque troupe here in austin i need to know about that <laughs> austin needs to know about that but yeah, so uh, there's Fat Bottom Cabaret, which is all curvy women of color. Uh, they have a pretty wide uh, spectrum from uh, Latinx, I think is what we're supposed to say now. Um, I'd say Latinas still. <laughs> I mean, one of the members, uh, I love her. Uh, her name is Chola Magnolia. <laughs> I love people. Come on now. If you're going to, you don't necessarily have to be racist about it, but embrace your culture. Come on now. Where do you, where do performers generally come from? Like, are they people that have done it their whole lives? Or the sense I got is that some people come to it later in life. And I always thought like, 
people and maybe especially women maybe not especially women like get to a certain age where they're just they're ready to just say fuck all the bullshit of people pleasing <laughs> and and it's about me now and there's such a there's such a a sense of like confidence and body positivity and just that feel to burlesque i just wondered if these if a lot of the performers came to it later in life it's kind of a mix i'd say probably about 50 50 uh there are some folks who have like long backgrounds in uh theater and dance and whatnot and then there are some people that are literally like they came to a show and they're like i want to do that And either they reach out to a troupe or there's the uh, Austin Academy of Burlesque. So we actually, there actually is a, a place to learn burlesque here in Austin. Uh, you can either learn to become a performer or it's, uh, you know, kind of like that pole dancing for exercise. Like just because you go to a pole dancing class doesn't mean you're going to go down to Yellow Rose and apply for a job. <laughs> Same thing with burlesque. Just because you take a couple of burlesque dance classes doesn't necessarily mean that you're ready to hit the stage. So some folks go through the academy. Some people just, uh, they've decided that, yeah, no, fuck the bullshit. This is how I want to feel. And one of the things that I've heard from, uh, her name is uh, Cruel Valentine. Uh, she's a performer, but she is a bigger girl. She uh, wears it well. She has no problem with it. And one of the things she says is the one of the best feelings you'll ever get is when your big ass is naked on stage and 500 people are cheering for you. <laughs> and I would have to agree. Like, hell yeah. So, yeah, it depends on the person, but I think I think it's about 50-50. A lot of people come from an actual dance background, and then a lot of people are just like, you know what? Fuck it. I can do it. Step back and watch. And that's actually one of the great things about the bombshells is that we actually, we teach, we coach, we help. Uh, not everybody in our troupe is a trained dancer. Not everybody in our troupe wants to be a trained dancer. And some people, I think, are better because they are not in their head trying to go five, six, seven, eight, five, six. Now, hit the stage, go with what feels right. And, you know, if you have, you do have to have like a sense of musicality and rhythm. But other than that, no, you don't need to know how to do like a full on Bob Fosse number <laughs> to hit the stage. If you can dance around topless in your kitchen while making macaroni and cheese, come on down. <laughs> But uh, I think burlesque is kind of in a tra uh, transition right now where a lot of people are trying to find their own voice instead of trying to fit into a mold. Because there's classic burlesque and then there's neo burlesque and then uh, there's like different ways that you can do it. And so a lot of the classic performers are what are now are the folks who are now becoming the legends of our generation but the fact is that a lot of the folks that are coming up now are looking at those classic numbers and those classic performers and thinking to themselves 
Well, they're already doing the glove peel and the boa dance and everything else. What the hell can I do? And I think that actually sparks a lot of creativity in the sense of, yeah, what the hell can you do? You can get up there and do a walk step, you know, take off a glove. Sure. Or you can get up there in spandex and dance to freaking 80s hair metal. As long as you can make it work. Cool. If you have, you know, some deep emotional stuff that you're trying to work through and you get up there and do a somber slow strip to freaking Evanescence. Cool. What can you do? Get creative. You can't just do, uh, you can't just, or you can just do the walk and peel, but we've all seen that. What else you got? Well, we're sitting inside Forbidden Fruit. Are you an employee? Are you part owner? Do you have a stake in this place? Or uh, I am the general manager and the quote unquote heir apparent. <laughs> um, in a couple of years, uh, when the sisters retire, I'm going to be buying the store from them. Let's see. We've been around since 1981. So right now, the tentative plan is 2021. So Lynn, who uh, was one of the people who started the store, uh, so that'll give her a solid 40 years <laughs> of doing this. Uh, and then, yeah, I'm going to be I'm going to be taking over the store and I'm very much looking forward to it. 22 time winner of best adult business in Austin. Austin Chronicle Readers Poll. We went, we we don't take it for granted, though. We um, we actually feel very appreciative every time. Every time we do win, because, yeah, the Austin, I think there's like seven different sex stores in Austin. So the fact that folks keep coming back here makes me happy. How did you come to it? When I was in college and doing the drag circuit and whatnot around town, Lynn and I used to do shows together. Uh, it was me, Lynn, Coco Electric, a few other people, uh, Goldie Candela. This was... Uh, they weren't quite burlesque shows back in the old days. Uh, it was called the uh, Saturday Night Sex Party. It was up north. It was just this weird, just naughtiness that we were doing. And so that's how I got to meet Lynn. And I actually knew, so I knew Lynn before I uh, started working here. I knew Lynn from shows. And then one day, it was after extravagasm. Uh, we were both freaking tired. We're standing in the box office counting out money. And at the time, I had quit my job at Lucy in Disguise, and I was just living on my savings. And I literally just looked over at her, and I was like, are you hiring? <laughs> she was like, actually, yeah. Our manager is about to leave to start his own store. And so I came in. I interviewed. <laughs> and yeah, and that's how I started working here. We try to be the not creepy sex store. So the store is very open. 
You can see from one side to the other. There are no racks where someone might be hiding and doing something untoward. We also, we curate our products. We don't carry everything. We do have people who come in and like they'll look at our dildos, for example, and they're like, wow, these are kind of expensive. Yeah, they're also dual density silicone from some of the best manufacturers in the business. If you're looking for like a $20 jelly thing to like, you know, use as a gag gif. Sorry, we don't have that. <laughs> uh, we do have some less expensive, like but I usually tell folks that like I can get you anything from $10 to $200. Just depends on what you're looking for. And so if you're looking for a little vibe, yeah, I can get you a little vibe for like 15 bucks still gonna be a nice little vibe it's going to last you it's not gonna be like a cheap like breaks in three days type of deal so that's another one of the things that distinguishes us is that we curate and make sure that we carry the best that we can get within any given price range but then also we do uh custom orders so for those people that you know can't quite find what they're looking for or they really like this one we just they just wish it was in purple okay i can get you one in purple Probably taking about three or four days. The vibe that I got when I was here as a customer was that it was just very relaxed, very open, very honest, very direct. There was no sense of titillation. There was no sense of embarrassment or anything. Do you think that's a, a fair assessment? Like, is that a goal yeah. of the business? No, I mean, that's the that's the whole point of it. It's like, this isn't... I mean, you can try to go for the titillation factor if you want to, but uh, no, these these are products. These are, This is human sexuality on display. This is what... Um, I'll have, uh, you know, someone coming in uh, to buy her first vibrator and, you know, she might be a little underwhelmed. I usually ask the same three questions. Large, small, internal, external, and what kind of power are we talking? And go from there. Like, we don't need to get into this What Do you want it to be flesh-toned? Do you want it to feel real? No, it's a toy. Calm down. So that's our that's our general approach is treat everybody like, a, like, like people. Come on in. And no question is weird. We don't do any of that. Uh, uh, was referred to as kink shaming. Uh, we don't do any of that. So I've had folks come in and they'll just like, they'll come up and they're like very quietly whisper and it's like, I'm, 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 I'm looking for a, a glass toy. Oh yeah. Come on down. My glass toys, my glass stuff is back here. It's like, you don't need to whisper. One of my number one things I always say, I, uh, I tell folks is <laughs> this ain't target. Spit it out. If you can't say it here, you if you can't say it, you can't buy it. Them's the rules. <laughs> How did you get into teaching classes? Did you do that from the very beginning or did you work your way up to that? I worked my way up to it in the sense that I was told you should be teaching classes. And so that was, I'd already worked here for probably about three or four years. And uh, at that point I was facilitating the workshops. So um, I helped run the store while the workshops were going on, but somebody else was actually teaching. Actually, one of my favorite workshops to teach is my fellatio workshop. And that was literal. that workshop literally came out of a friend of mine who uh, 
she this was back in college she like swore that she would never suck dick it's like the most disgusting <laughs> thing in the world why would anybody put a penis in their mouth that's so gross she would never do it uh fast forward to her studying abroad in scotland and i get an email hey johnny <laughs> how, do you, how do you do that uh so i created a powerpoint for her <laughs> And this wonderful woman who has since retired, her name is Sharla Hathaway. Uh, she was a sex educator. She was actually one of the first people that started teaching here back in the 90s. Uh, so Sharla taught here for a while. But yeah, Sharla used to teach our uh, Fellatio 101 class, and I would facilitate. And Sharla would ask me questions. <laughs> and she would always start it the same way. She would go, Johnny. As a penis haver and a penis lover, what do you think? <laughs> and then one day after the class, uh, you know, I was, you know, writing her, writing her the check, you know, getting her paid and giving her uh, the evaluations and whatnot. And she was like, you know, you know enough about this stuff. Why don't you teach this class? Like, uh, I'm not a teacher. She's like, yes, you are. Okay. Maybe I can teach this class. And so... I kind of did a bit more research and kind of looked up, like, if I were to teach this class, what would I talk about? And kind of went from there. And so most of my teaching experience just comes from working here at the store and just answering a million questions a day. <laughs> it's, so it's like, no, I know. I, I do know all of this stuff. Eh, spread the knowledge. <laughs> so that's how I got into teaching, was basically somebody told me that I should teach. Uh, she didn't just tell me. She basically kind of made it sound like I didn't have a choice. <laughs> like, you're going to teach this class. And I was like, okay. So that's how I got in. Uh, that's how I got. That's how I first got into teaching. And then I just more and more stuff that interested me. And I found out more about it. And I was like, people should know about that. Let's teach a class. Same thing like with my anal workshop, which is one of my, that actually, my anal workshop is actually my favorite workshop to teach. Because that's my, like, everybody's got one. You can play with it. Go for it. But then I have people who come in and they're like, what if it hurts? Well, it's not supposed to hurt. Well, what if it does hurt? Then stop doing it. <laughs> Assess. Try more lube. Try a different position. There's different things that you can do, but it's not supposed to hurt. That's one of the things like, cause we sell a lot of kink bondage and BDSM gear. And I, one of the rules of the store is that we do not sell anything that, that harms the human body. We do sell things that hurt the human body, but we don't sell anything that harms the human body. We don't sell any, we don't sell spermicide. We don't sell condoms with spermicide. We don't sell uh, any oil-based lubes because oil-based lube break down latex barriers. Uh, we don't sell, um, uh, we don't sell uh, jelly toys and things like that because a lot of the, if you, if you open the, if you open a toy and it's like sticking to the plastic or like has a funny smell, don't put that in your body. <laughs> Yeah, there's a reason why you got a 10-inch dildo for 20 bucks. Don't put that in your body. It's just weird. A lot of folks ask why we're still around, like how, you know, the internet's a thing. Why would anybody go to a sex store? You can buy everything online. And that's like, you can. Not quite sure what the hell you're going to get. 
And I've uh, I've actually said that to people who come in. They're like, I can find this on Amazon for thirty dollars. No, you can't. <laughs> I guarantee you, you can't. You can find something on Amazon for thirty dollars. It's not going to be that product. And if it is that product, I guarantee you, it didn't come. It doesn't come from the manufacturer, and it doesn't come with a warranty. So yeah, best of luck. We have we're a small store. We try to make sure that we have the best of the best. If you can find it cheaper online. If you want to risk it, go for it. But there's still some value to coming into a store and being like, nope, that's the exact one that I want. I'm going to take it now. I don't have to pay shipping. And I know it is what it actually says on the box. And no one has used it before. <laughs> so that's my number one thing is if you're going to buy online, be very careful. Otherwise, you know, go into a store. Talk to somebody. It's okay. <laughs> We generally try to be friendly. Unless it's first thing on a Sunday and I'm slightly hungover. <laughs> uh, I think that's about it. Anything you wanted to plug? Like any upcoming show? Like it usually takes me a while to do this. If you got a show next weekend, it's going to be too late. But. I would say Texas Burlesque Festival at the Long Center. Uh, that'll be April 24th and 25th. Tickets are on sale now. Uh, we're going to have some amazing performers coming in literally from all over the world. So, yeah, if you can't go see a show in Tokyo, maybe come down to uh, the Long Center in April and you can see some performers. <laughs> wow, that's a nice venue. Yeah. That's cool. All right. Thanks, Johnny. I really appreciate it. No problem. That was Johnny Reynolds talking about Bat City Bombshells and Forbidden Fruit. That was some interesting classes he was talking about. Have you been to any of those classes? I have not taken any classes at Forbidden Fruit. Are you planning to? I don't know. I think it would be, uh, it would, I don't think I would have the maturity to not feel awkward looking Johnny in the eyes and talking about fellatio and anal, anal sex, but. Oh my. <laughs> maybe. Maybe, maybe you need a little uh, academic distance there for, for that. I'm not sure, but I have no doubt that he is professional and uh, knowledgeable. Experienced? As a penis lover and a penis haver, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Johnny, for talking to me. It was great spending time with you. I, I love your laugh. I love your sense of humor. And everybody out there, if you get a chance to see the Bat City bombshells, see Johnny do his thing, see Miss Calzoria, please do. It's a it's a lot of fun. Here's to more body positivity, no matter what size you are, and more sex. I'm on board for that. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. You and I went to Forbidden Fruit one time. Do you remember that? Your mom listens to this? I don't know how much I can <laughs> I can talk about this this subject. Okay.